The Big Money Music Hour is brought to you by Les Bourgeois Vineyards, featuring a selection of more than 20 different award-winning local wines with varieties that are dry to sweet and everything in between. Les Bourgeois Vineyards are available at their winery in Rocheport at area retailers or online at MissouriWine.com. You're listening to the Big Money Music Hour podcast presented by Les Bourgeois Vineyards. I'm your host, Colin Lavote, the shameless voice playing what's relevant in music from the country of the Midwest and beyond. How you doing? You feeling good? You feeling good out there? I'm feeling pretty good. Feeling the springtime vibes. This is my first springtime episode, at least recorded in spring for... uh, 2021 and you know what i'm most excited about i'll tell you i'm really excited because i have gotten the vaccine that's right i got the shot in my arm just last week johnson and johnson one hit wonder and i'm i'm done i, I don't need the, the two shots i and I, I can't believe it i'm i'm beside myself i didn't expect for it to happen this quickly. I figured it would be like May before I got even my first vaccine, my first dose, my first anything. And I, I it's just, it, it's one of the things that I never thought, <laughs> I never thought I would be so happy to get a, a shot in my arm. And it, lo and behold, that's where we're at. I, I was lucky enough. We have a good friend that's a nurse and she was working at a vaccine station. I wasn't trying to line cut, but they have so many vaccines. And if people don't show up, they need to use up what they have left at the end of the day. And, and I was lucky enough to where not only myself, but my sister was able to go up and just walk right in, get the shot. And my sister walked up to me and she, my sister has been very, 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 very careful in all this time. She has a job that really requires her to to make sure that she's she's being careful. And uh, I mean, I was being careful, too, but I had to go out there in the real real world and interact with people just by the nature of, of the company and the business that I'm trying to run here. And so I, w- I went out there and I was careful and I got to the finish line without getting it. But my sister was very careful. Um, You know, we only saw each other a few times and it was masked and outdoors. But uh, she walked right up to me because she got her her shot after I did. Walked right up to me and gave me a hug for the first time in a year or more. And it was emotional. We we stood there for, I want to say, for two minutes and just held each other in an embrace because it's something that, that we just haven't been able to do for for so long and you know it it was a cathartic moment and it it made me even more hopeful and i even talked about this on the last podcast that we're i'm just starting to see more activity more signs it seems like things are are headed the right direction just a lot more quickly than the expectations were set for and so you know i'm i'm so thankful to anyone that, that could have made it happen and thankful to anyone that like my friend, the, the nurse that is, is helping just getting, get shots in arms, the people, I mean, that's what they want, you know, and, and regardless of current age restrictions, I guess by May, everyone, it's going to be a free for all. 
Um, so the only thing I have to say is make sure you go get that shot. All right. Um, if <laughs> you're one of those folks that's, that's kind of on the fence because of some kind of anti-vaccination kick, uh, I mean, I don't know what to tell you. My, I mean, my question to you is whenever, uh, as we watch infection rates go down, what are you going to attribute that to? You know, I mean, is it just magic? that it just so happens that that coincides <laughs> with with everyone getting the vaccine. Uh, you know, I can understand being worried about side effects, but, you know, this isn't the polio vaccine. This isn't even the 20th century anymore. What happened is a modern marvel of science, and it should be treated as such. And all I can do is I, I can't make you. I mean, I don't even want the government to be able to make you take it. But I just hope you will, because it's the right thing to do. We're, we can eradicate this if folks just get their head out of their ass. Just do it. Get the shot. And, uh, you know, I, I was a little bit groggy the next day, had a few side effects, but it wasn't that big of a deal. I'm all right. And you're going to be all right, too. And we're going to be all right. And you know what? You're going to be really, really all right, because I have a great guest this week. Henry Hall. Uh, was only turned on to him a few weeks ago by the PR folks from uh, Weezer actually pitched him to me and he was on Jimmy Fallon recently and had a great performance there. Super talented guy, like really talented, insane voice, uh, even better guitar player, honestly. And I was really intrigued by him. And if I'm going to be real, his music isn't really the thing that's my go-to type of music it's not what what i'm not spinning him every day although i have had some of his songs stuck in my head they're infectiously catchy but the reason why i wanted to talk to him is because he intrigued me there's as you're going to hear in our interview a, a, a good discussion about the fine line between sardonic wit and music and also just trying to work through emotional uh, what-have-yous, you know, one's own personality. And, um, you know, I, uh, I I think it was a good chat, and I think you're gonna, going to enjoy it. So uh, we're going to take a short break. Whenever we come back, we're going to be talking with Henry Hall on the Big Money Music Hour podcast. Big Muddy Music Hour is presented by Les Bourgeois Vineyards. Located in Rocheport, Missouri, Les Bourgeois Vineyards has been a Missouri winery for more than 30 years, with over 20 different wines ranging in style and sweetness. Les Bourgeois wines are available at local retailers or online at MissouriWine.com. Support also comes from Ozark Mountain Biscuit Company, offering southern-style sandwiches from their food truck and take-and-bake buttermilk biscuits in the freezer section at Columbia Area Hy-Vee's, Clover's, and The Root Cellar. More information at OzarkMountainBiscuits.com. Support also comes from Pizza Tree, offering a wide variety of sourdough-crusted pizzas, salads, beers, and more at their location at Cherry and 9th in downtown Columbia. Now offering breakfast, Pizza Tree can be ordered online at PizzaTreePizza.com. Support also comes from Amber House Bed and Breakfast, 
Located in historic Rocheport, Missouri, this full-service inn offers lodging and dinner service open to the public with locally sourced ingredients, a rotating wine list, and an in-house masseuse. More information, visit amberhousebb.com. Support also comes from Lizzie and Rocco's Natural Pet Market. With two locations in Columbia, Lizzie and Rocco's is a locally owned natural pet food store. Lizzie and Rocco's nutrition specialists can create custom diets for pets, now offering positive reinforcement dog training. For more information, visit lizzieandrocco's.com. Playing what's relevant in music from the country of the Midwest and beyond, you are listening to the Big Money Music Hour, presented by Les Bourgeois Vineyards. My guest this week is Henry Hall, a singer, songwriter, and guitarist whose seriously great musical compositions are coupled with seemingly unserious lyrics. <laughs> <laughs> and I want to thank Henry Hall for joining the Big Money Music Hour. How are you doing, man? I'm good, man. Thank you for having me. Uh, it's a pleasure to be on here. Yeah. So where, where are you calling from today? I'm calling from uh, lovely Hollywood, California. Nice. Yeah, uh, I, right, right outside my door, every celebrity you've ever heard of, baby, is walking <laughs> around, going to the grocery store, doing their thing. That's well. It sounds sounds like a lovely place, a world away. Oh, it, just, it makes it makes life worth living with these famous people. <laughs> well, uh, happy to have you on the show. Uh, only recently ran across you, and I want to get to your most recent release, Nito, that you dropped back in October. But first, I yeah. always start off each show with the the same question. And I'm always curious what drives each musician to want to pick up an instrument and perform for people. What started you off on your musical journey and how old were you? Mm. Well, I think the first time technically I uh, took to the stage was uh, maybe a piano recital in first grade or something like that. I actually have a distinct, this is a bit of a, uh, a slightly uh, tangent, but a friend of mine turned to me during the recital while someone else was playing and said, that is so first recital. <laughs> and we were like six years old. <laughs> Pretty good. Um, <laughs> but um, yeah, I mean, I, you know, I think uh, I'm an introverted person. Uh and I find the sort of uh, very organized and defined like dynamic of being on stage uh, and having an, and then there being an odd, you know, a performer and audience to be comforting because it leaves, uh, it takes away like the option anxiety of, okay, how am I supposed to act in this dynamic? You know, it's very clear what you're supposed to do when you're on stage <laughs> and when you're an audience member, you know, and uh, it's easy for me to sort of just give, give, give while I'm on stage, as opposed to uh, sort of like that, that give and take of like having a normal relationship. So, you know, that's, that's uh, my therapist and I are going through that uh, stuff <laughs> more, but uh, that's, I don't know. I think that that's part of the drive for me. I mean, I, I, you know, I've been playing in bands and, uh, you know, jazz bands for 
middle school and uh, you know bands of mine since I was that age. Uh, so it's you know been a couple decades now, and uh, uh, yeah, man. I mean, I just that that's that's really the drive for me. I think is that uh, that connection that just makes a lot of sense to me. Yeah, I mean, I I kind of came from the same place a bit whenever. I was younger because I, I grew up, I, I'm a musician as well. And I didn't, didn't tell you that, but I, uh, grew up on a farm in the middle of nowhere. I didn't have preschool or play, you know, play dates. My family didn't have like friends, you know? So I didn't, mm-hmm. by the time I, I was like thrown into kindergarten, I didn't know how to interact with people, you know, I totally. mean, like yeah. the, the, the epitome of awkwardness. I mean, I didn't even know, that whenever you go to, you know, pee in a urinal, you, you're not supposed to just pull your pants all the way down to your ankles. I mean. Oh, yeah. You're not alone in that one. I think, <laughs> I think there are a lot of kids doing that. that <laughs> but, uh, you know, the, the bottom line is I was awkward throughout most of my adolescence. And, you know, playing music definitely has helped me just become a normal human being. And yeah, I, I think that it helps whenever you're on stage, not only performing for people, but also interacting with people on that level. It, it can kind of uh, warm up what is a potentially, you know, awkward and introverted in, individual into, you know, creating a stronger human connection. I totally agree. You were six when you played your first piano recital, and it seems like your your parents were were you know taking you to music lessons if you're you're in jazz bands and stuff like that throughout school. But what was the music that was being played in your household? And I mean, what was the the first bit of tunes that really spoke to you? Because it's it's you know there's there's something different from learning scales on a piano to you know having a record in your that echoes through your house that that yeah. really inspires you. Certainly. Yeah. I mean, my, both my parents are very musical people, especially my dad. He's, he's a musician himself and, uh, he's a massive Beatles fan. So we always had, uh, uh, Abbey road and, uh, that compilation one that came out, like, you know, whenever that was like 2000 and 2000, maybe 2001, that was all the number ones that the Beatles ever had on the CD. And we, you know, ruined that CD listening to it so much in the car. Um, but I think as I was like coming of age, my dad showed me uh, Simon and Garfunkel and the Smiths sort of simultaneously. Um, and I think that kind of threw me in, uh, you know, it, it, I, I was exposed to kind of two sides of songwriting from both of those uh, groups uh like the seriousness and uh kind of like earnestness of the of Simon and Garfunkel and then the irony and and like cheekiness of the Smiths and Morrissey um and i think just you know he was always very open and always down to like hear new stuff i would get from other kids or whatever it might be but i always found that i returned to simon and garfunkel and smith those were like the, the sort of two pillars for me um where did you 
grow up? I mean, were, were, have you just been raised under the guise and guidance of Hollywood's biggest stars? Or <laughs> <laughs> now, I, I grew up. I grew up here in Los Angeles, and uh, also partly in Santa Barbara, which is like just north of here, where my dad is from. Cool. Yeah. So yeah. you know, you, you get through the early elementary years of playing in, in jazz uh, bands and things of that sort. Was there ever like, mm-hmm. I don't know, some kind of like high school rock band or anything like that that you did? Like where, when did you start like getting out and, and actually collaborating with people outside of, you know, kind of an academic setting? Yeah. You, you better believe I was in a rock band. <laughs> <laughs> um yeah, we uh I so my first band was uh Begat in 6th grade. <laughs> Sorry, I didn't mean to make you better drink. Uh <laughs> and we were called Bedhead uh which was a name given to us by our drummer's dad because we had our first band practice after a sleepover and we all had <laughs> Bedhead. That's that's pretty cute. That's cute. That's 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 yeah, real it cute. It was pretty cute. Uh, and so Bedhead, uh, then became, uh, the chills. We changed our name and then we changed our name again and became the interns. Uh, and, um, we played around town. Uh, what type of stuff did you play? Were were you playing original stuff or was it it all covers? Yeah, it was, it was all original. I mean, I, I've been writing music, uh, for my entire life, pretty much. Uh, I, I wrote a song when I was like six years old called broken boy. It was, I don't really remember what it it was like broken boy. You're so broken. Like that was the hook. (laughs) Anyway. uh, So yeah, that, that's, that was the, that was the first. And, uh, but yeah, and the interns chills bedhead, it was all original stuff. Um, three piece, uh, pretty, uh, you know, I, I, similar to pretty much the same as like stuff that I do now, I would say. (laughs) Uh, and, uh, you know, uh, I, that's where I really learned to sing. Uh, cause I, I had no, I've never done, had any training for singing or anything. It's all been like guitar related instrument stuff. Um, so, you know, I knew we need, I needed to sing in the, in the band cause I knew I liked to sing, but I always like considered myself a guitar player really. Um, and, uh, cause I never said, you know, the jazz stuff was always had a sort of like academic sheen to it. So I was never really like, so creatively inspired by the stuff I was doing in jazz band in high school, but, um, I was playing a lot of jazz and like learning a lot about jazz. And I think it filtered its way into the music. Um, well, I mean, to some it, and, if, if you're training yourself in jazz, it's, it's such a good tool to have in your toolkit, particularly if you, yeah. you are going to do some pop rock stuff. I mean, you can't, uh, I mean, if, if that's, if that's what you're brought up in and it's a pretty good uh, foothold in terms of coming up with something that's compelling and man, you can, you, uh, that was one of the things that whenever I was turned on to you, I was, I was really impressed with is I really like your guitar playing a lot and your voice Thank you. is, is, uh, you know, it's, it's one of those things like you, you, some things you can't train and I believe you can actually train. I'm, I, I'm, I, I don't want to speak completely out of my, 
uh, rectal area here, but I, I do want to, uh, I'm pretty sure that an, anyone can be taught how to sing if given the encouragement and the, you know, the, the training at, at the right age. I, I honestly believe any, yeah. anyone can sing. And I always, I always feel, I get bummed out whenever, you know, some people I hear grownups, you know, say, it's like, oh, I'm, I'm tone deaf. My parents always told me that. It's like, what if they didn't? What if they encourage? Yeah. What if they encourage you? You know, uh, completely. And, and I, I, I totally agree with that. Yeah. But uh, you know, it, it's it's obvious that you have it because your 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 pitch that falsetto is uh, is uh, I don't know if it's a falsetto or not, but it sounds like falsetto a good <laughs> amount of the time. Uh, it, you're you're hitting some some really juicy stuff there, and it, it's it's thank you. It's a uh, you know pretty obvious way you're starting to get uh, get some get some interest going for you. But I'm curious. Thank you, man. Appreciate that. Absolutely. I mean, but what I'm curious about is how do you want your music to be seen? Mm. Everyone who considers themselves to be an artist, I think, wants to be taken seriously to a certain extent. And as I said yeah. at the top of the interview, you're you know, a fantastic vocalist and a really talented guitar player, but your persona is more weird Al than John Mayer, <laughs> you know? And I <laughs> I think whenever I was I was checking you out, I was it reminded me actually of not in style, but it reminded me of the band, the darkness. Are you familiar with them? Of course. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. So, you, we covered, uh, I uh, believe in a thing. Called oh my God. You, I bet, I bet you could kill that because your, yeah. your voice <laughs> is in the perfect range. And the, the thing about the darkness that I always think about whenever I think of the darkness, particularly during the time people really, they, they took up a lot of media bandwidth is the fact yeah. that, Everyone that interviewed them was like, "Are you for real, or is this a joke?" Mm. Like they they weren't taking them seriously, and it it you know ticked them off because mm. you know there's like, "No, this is this is what uh, we're putting our blood, sweat, and tears into, and yeah. we're that we're actually pretty dead serious about this. This isn't a joke to us." But it's hard to listen to your lyrics and not see the kind of sardonic humor that comes through it mm -hmm. from time to time. So I'm wondering where you see yourself on the humor spectrum. Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, I, you know, I, I think, to be honest, uh, my music is, I think, a reflection of the kind of person that I am. There's this sort of uh a bit of a first impression i don't want to say facade because it's it's real it's like really what i'm you know i don't go into songwriting saying i'm gonna write a song that has parody in it you know uh i go into songwriting thinking what is gonna give me that feeling that i get from hearing a song that gives me, uh, you know, that music-y feeling, you know? <laughs> it's like that feeling when you're uh, moved by music, you know? Um, and I think with my stuff, it's like there's a layer of humor. Um, but if you kind of step back and take a look at the bigger picture, there's maybe a little bit more of a message about, like, neuroses and uh anxiety and uh melancholy and sadness and things like that you know um it's like alive in my song alive annoyed i say 
you literally make me want to die, but that's the very thing that keeps me alive, you know, and it's on this, it's sung over, a, you know, what could be interpreted as like a, a play on like the, you know, 60s, like doo-woppy sound. Um, so it's like this kind of synthesis of like those two sides of things. Uh, like it's half uh, funny and half very serious and half making fun of itself and half being really serious. And that's just kind of, that's kind of the way that I, I am, you know, like I, I struggle with anxiety and depression pretty immensely and have for like my whole life. And, but I also uh, connect with people by being funny and making jokes. So I try to have both those things happen in the music too. Wow. Yeah, no, that's that's uh, that's an interesting take, and you know, I, I mean that that line was the first thing that caught me, and because that was the first song I, I listened to, and it's like you literally make me want to die, and I'm like, did someone like literally make him want to die, or is this you know? Um, yeah, I mean, I you know, it's a little bit of an exaggeration, but kind of, yeah, yeah, you know. But then also in that song, there, you know, I say like baby under the moonlight <laughs> you are annoying me tonight yeah. you know so it's so there's like some uh tongue-in-cheek yeah yeah stuff in there as well you know so i'm curious i i went and i checked out and i was looking to see what label you were signed to and i saw the, the album was released by you like solely 100 yeah. independent right so yes, indeed. How does someone get this kind of buzz with no label? Like you had a song in 2017 that really blew up on Spotify, a single called "Talk," um, mm-hmm. and you know I I can imagine that 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 has helped in terms of the reception and the the interest in Nito, which dropped back in October. That you were just on Jimmy Fallon, <laughs> you know, yeah. and, uh, like yeah. uh, uh, just in the last couple of months. And, you know, I'm just curious, like, how does a musician with 2000 followers on Facebook and make it onto the to the Tonight Show? Like, what's going on here? Because, like, it's good. I'm not it, like you, you you meet the threshold of quality for what is deserving of buzz. But it just kind of seems like you came out of nowhere. Yeah, man. I mean, I, you know, I, I, you basically know as much as I do, <laughs> to be honest. I, I think, you know, I was pitched uh, to to Fallon uh, or to not to Jimmy Fallon himself, but to the people who book stuff there, uh, you know, like through, you know, like press uh, releases and whatever it might be it was just picked up. And they liked the music and they were like, let's have him on, <laughs> you know? And I think, I mean, not to, uh, with, with, with talk that, that situation was, uh, I, a very good friend of mine, uh, from college was the assistant to Casey Neistat, who's a YouTuber, a big YouTuber guy and a, a friend of mine now and he showed him some of my music and uh, he wanted to use a, he wanted me to write a song actually for him um, for a video of his that he was making uh, for 
just about like the story of him meeting his wife. So he was like, write me romantic song basically. So I was like, okay. And I did. And I sent him the demo and he was like, this is great. And I was like, oh, cool. And he was like, yep. Videos like going out in 30 minutes. Like I just added it to the video and I was like, oh wait, no, that was the demo. And like, I freaked out, but it ended up being fine. And <laughs> uh, people like, like the video and uh, that kind of kickstarted things for me, honestly. Um, so uh, I, I owe a lot to, Casey for using the song there, you know, the video has a, a millions of views and stuff. And uh, I still to this day get a lot of people reaching out to me about that song, like probably more than any other. Um, so yeah, man, I mean, it's all like, it's funny because nowadays, because the, I mean, you know, not, I, I don't know if you want to get into a music industry conversation, but I mean, I find that it's a, blessing and a curse that there's like no infrastructure for the music industry. Um, it used to be that you had to get with a label to get just any distribution or publicity at all. But now everyone has their own platform from which they can go viral and get a lot of attention. Uh, and also from which, you know, they can get in front of uh, eyes who they otherwise would not have been able to, you know, um, it's like a total free for all. And sometimes most of the time that can kind of suck because it's like impossible to <laughs> wade through all the, every, everyone else, all the millions of other musicians out there. But then other times, you know, other times you, you get lucky like I did with the Fallon thing. So, well, that's great, man. I can tell you've put a lot of work into uh, this album in particular. And uh, I got nothing but respect for, uh, independent artists that are able to climb the echelon of, uh, or, or pass the gates rather of, <laughs> of <laughs> music industry success. So anytime I, I see it, that it's the artist that's behind the distribution and not some label that's going to take them for a ride. And, uh, I mean, for instance, I just saw the other day, there's that hard rock band called Chevelle and, they mm -hmm. they're releasing their first record uh, them the the first independent record now they're with epic or some major label they released 10 albums under that deal and made like no money after selling like 60 million albums wow. across their career okay. they're just you, you mm. know just saying like you know it's it's great making money at shows but uh, you know under the the old structure and the old monoliths it's a lot of artists were taking taken advantage of and so it has to be a good feeling to be able to do things yeah. on your own terms and uh no start doubt to get some traction so that also i just want to say too fallon i feel like breaks a lot of artists like they're very open to independent artists you know so big shout out to them for taking the chance yeah and it was it was a really <laughs> cool performance too because you know we're, we're still in the COVID age with late night shows and you know things are yeah. things are recorded you know I, i'm assumed i assume the performance was live just but with multi-camera angles uh, you know yeah. in a different location and um a lot in a lot of instances i think that works to artists benefit because you you yeah. can kind of control i imagine like you guys shot it and then sent it over to them and you know, it, it was it was the product you were happy with whenever you sent it over, and totally, um, yeah. It, it's it sound. It was a great performance. It was well shot, and it couldn't couldn't have been a better better situation. So, um, thanks, man. Keep it up, and uh, to play things out, and we're gonna play another 
track from your album Nito. Henry Hall, thank you so much for joining the Big Money Music Hour. It was fun. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Shout out to Missouri. All right. All right. That is it for me, folks. I want to thank you for tuning in. I want to thank my guest this week, Henry Hall, for joining the show. So with that, keep on fighting the good fight, folks. And on behalf of everyone at LV Creative and KBIA, this is Colin Laveau, the Shameless Voice, signing off. Big Muddy Music Hour presented by Les Bourgeois Vineyards is produced by LV Creative and KBIA-FM, an NPR station from Columbia, Missouri. The show is hosted, written, and edited by Colin Laveau. Co-produced by Kyle Felling, Mike Dunn, Alicia Laveau, and Ruth Acuff. Theme song written by Pat K. Outro song written by Crip Trip. Videographer is Matt Matlack of LV Creative. For more Big Money Music Hour content, subscribe to the Big Money Music Hour podcast wherever you get your podcasts. To hear on-air reruns of the Big Money Music Hour, go to bigmoneymusichour.com. Bigmoneymusichour.com